Good morning. It is great to have you with us this morning. September is turning out to be, I think, one of the best Septembers I remember in a long, long time. Yeah. My goodness, just a amazing, beautiful. They were saying this morning that what fall starts this week, and and I thought well, it doesn't feel like it. I guess I guess it's supposed to turn a little bit, but just really, really been amazing. So, uh, Sherry, I'll, I'll, I'll eventually need a clicker. Apparently, <laughs> I did not grab it. So. Um, and this doesn't work as much as I try. It's just not <laughs> making slides change. So yeah. anyway, good to see you today. So yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about um, the, the, the pervasive nature of technology these days, the way you can pretty much be tracked anywhere, all that sort of stuff. And um, it was kind of fun yesterday. You know, we've got the whole family thing that we can see where everybody is. So you were enjoying some time over near a lake. Looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, my, my in-laws, they have a, a family house that was left to them after uh, my mother-in-law's parents passed away. And they've rehabbed it and turned it into kind of a, a little family getaway spot. It's actually where we had our leader retreat. So it's a, it's a nice spot to, when everybody's coming into town, instead of having to go mess up someone's living in house we go mess up this other house awesome um, so yeah it's a it's a great place to be and and my uh, sister-in-law who got married uh, earlier this summer i officiated the wedding they were in town from north carolina so yeah it was a really good time to to be out with family for the entire day and run around like crazy people and yeah it was it was fun it's funny because we, we have a little bit of a water theme going this morning in many ways, we'll have more baptisms after the second service day, which we're very excited about that. Mm -hmm. And that river continues to stay beautiful and warm, and you know, just that's amazing. But you also, as you walk in this morning, you may be wondering if you're in a cafeteria, and uh, and if somebody made egg salad. And, and I know, I know, most of you did not notice it, but some of you have sensitive noses. We walked in this morning, and and part of our our water system in in here had had popped apart, and so water was dripping out onto the floor in the water room. And so if you're kind of catching that this morning, don't keep staring at your neighbor like they forgot to deodorize or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, there is a little thing going. We got the fan blowing. Hopefully by the second service, that'll be gone. But just trying to set you at ease that yeah. you're not totally losing your mind. And if you're craving egg salad, now you know why. <laughs> so anyway, um, this the, the start off of groups has been uh, fantastic. My my group, my Thursday morning group, got started this past week, and uh, this coming week, there's still a couple more getting started. So I'm uh, really excited about, about the opportunities. One of them is just talking about what does it, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and, and looking at the book of Mark and asking that, that really uh, hard question of, you know, what was, what was this call to discipleship all about? And then Yosts uh, are getting their group going again, that, that group that I guess, I guess you could call it young couples, and having said that, some are probably not as, it's not like you're all 22 or something like that, I think that, it right? gets renamed every journey group season, and it's the same amorphous blob of, yeah. of people. And, it's and it's, it's cool, though, because yeah. this time around, uh, the approach is going to be a, a meal and hang out one yeah. week, and then the study the next week. And it, so I think if you're, if you're really looking for uh, connecting points right now. You've been coming a while, and and you're in, you know, you're enjoying being a part of what's going on on Sunday morning. That next, that next step of diving into the connection of a group uh, is really great. And those two groups in particular, I think, are going to offer some really great relational connections. Yeah. Can I just give a quick shout out too to the Shotgun Crew because we <laughs> finally got to go. So we're we're meeting once a month on Thursday nights, and two weeks ago we had our first round. Uh, Needless to say, I, I'm an okay shot, uh, but if you ever need real home defense, Greg Gearman's your guy. <laughs> Greg was lighting up these targets, and that, like, I would hit one, and like a little chip would fly off, because we're, we're shooting these clay targets that are about this big, flying away from you in all different directions, and I would like nick a little piece off and be like, count it, I broke it. And Greg like turned his to dust every single time. <laughs> so if you'd like to learn how to shoot, come and watch Greg on those Thursday nights. But that's, that's another group that, yes, while we've started, there's still an opportunity yeah, to get signed up and yeah. come join and, and be a part of that. And yeah, in fact, basically, a if, if a group is still on the site, it's still open. Yeah. You can mm -hmm. still sign up and, and come be a part of those groups. So, so keep looking. Uh, 
But it was funny. So the Sunday after that, everybody's showing me their badge of honor. They'd pull back their, their shirt sleeve and show me the nice big bruise that they got from their, from their shotgun popping them, the, the, the nice little recoil. So you got your uh, reminder yesterday, the, the weekend update that came along, and, and there, were, there were a lot of different opportunities in that. I'm not going to go through and, and read all of them to you, but um, again, like we said, after the service, second service today, uh, got more baptisms, that's exciting, got more coming next weekend. So uh, if you're still looking to get involved in that this, this time around, you know, go ahead and send us an email or catch us today and, and we'll talk about the opportunity of declaring, declaring your faith that way. And other events that are, that are listed there for you today, one of them that is new on the site is uh, we got this Fall Family Fest coming up on October 29th. Yeah. So you guys were talking about the details of that at our last meeting. It was really good. Yeah, we're, we basically, the Southfield kids and Southfield students, we were kind of looking to both do some kind of fall event, and we said, why not do it together? Uh, so on, uh, I'm going to get the date wrong if I don't look at it. I think it's October 29th. On October 29th, uh, throw that on your calendar, Friday night from 6 to 8. We're just going to have a time where we get to do all kinds of stuff together. Um, we're going to be launching pumpkins. We're going to be eating hot dogs. We're going to be going through the trail at night in, at the end of October, which shouldn't scare too many people, except for me. Uh, it will be scary for me. But it, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of really cool opportunities for for that two-hour window, and that's going to be any, any family with someone that uh, has the, that Southfield kids to students age. So. Great. And on that one, there's a link, so mm -hmm. it takes you to the event and describes the events. If you're trying to find out what's going on around church, anytime you want to go, just look at that events link, because that gives you, it gives you all the different opportunities taking place. And I know for some of you, you know, you don't have the, the church app. You don't have to have the app in order to access events and groups and all these other things. Just go to the website and head over to that second tab, pull it down. The first one up there is events. And you can look at that all the time and see. Uh, in fact, it's, it's already listed, I think, uh, some of what we're doing for Christmas. There's uh, Day Camp is already on there for next year. I think Green Lake is already on there for next year. So if you're just looking to, to get things on your calendar, yeah. those are always listed under, uh, under the events tab. So... Have I said yet that there will be more baptisms <laughs> after church today? I mean, I, I am so excited I, about this. This has just been, it's been such a, a great season really cool. of seeing people say, yes, I, I love Jesus and mm -hmm. I want you to know it. He's, he's saved me. He's changed me. I, I'm redeemed and, and, I'm, and I'm so happy to be able to declare that. So I asked you, Brian, today to, uh, to go ahead and do our reading so that we hear a, a different voice. This is a little bit of an extended passage. Uh, we're reading from Matthew chapter 24, and we're reading pretty much the first 30 verses, right, right, in, that, right in that area. This is an event that took place. Jesus is with his disciples, and the disciples have the same curiosity that it seems every human has had uh, that, that comes to a knowledge of God. What, what's going to happen when the end happens? How will I know the end is coming? The disciples literally ask, tell us some signs of the coming of the end. And so Jesus, who is an authority on these things, uh, goes through and, and just walks through some of the details of what's going to happen uh, at, the, at the end of time. So love for you to go ahead and read that, and uh, words will be on the screen for you as well. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that can, time, can I just stop that. I, yeah. I, that. That verse is so important. Uh, we 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 fall under this delusion that everybody will smile at the church and be happy. You know that that if if we're doing it right, if we're if we're saying it nice, if we're if Jesus says, "Hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Yeah. Wake up." Sorry, I won't do constant commentary. Verse verse ten. <laughs> 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. But because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here, here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you have given us your word, uh, the words that Jesus spoke, as well as your word in written form, to be able to know your desires. Uh, you are a moral being, and you've expressed a morality, the morality. You've expressed the way we're supposed to live. And, and we're, called, we're called to obey what's written in your word. We're called to live that wholly and completely. Further, I'm, I'm grateful that you have uh, given us passages like this where, where, we, can, where we can have some of our, um, our curiosities uh, revealed. We can, we can know that, that what the end will look like. We can know what's coming. We can, we can see these things in advance, and we can have an understanding of, of our future as well as of our relationship with you because of the words you have spoken. And so I pray today as, as we continue to, to dive into the question of just is this the end, what's going on in the world, uh, that, you will, that you will continue to show us not just what might happen in the future, but the way we're supposed to live today, the kind of people we're supposed to be, the holy people we're supposed to be in light of your imminent return. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I started... Uh, as a pastor in, in 1990, been doing this and been doing this for a little bit of time. And in all the years that, that I've been a, a pastor, I've been asked this question on the screen more in the past year, year and a half than I have in the, in the first 30 years. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how many people are, are just scratching their head and wondering based on what they see uh, taking place in our country and taking place in the world, just the, all the things that are happening, uh, what's taking place with the weather and the atmosphere, what's taking place with the pandemic, all of these things, all these things have people wondering, is this the end? And I, I don't think that that's surprising. I, I think that when things are going well, we really don't think about it. But when things get rather disastrous, when they get out of control, we do kind of, we think big picture. We go, what, what in the world is going on? What's happening? And it's a really good question to ask. Jesus encourages us to ask the question. In that same passage, you know, Brian just read it. Here are the disciples. They're with Jesus. And what are they asking? How will we know the end is coming? And Jesus didn't say, 
well, just ignore that. Just live a good life and don't pay attention to that. He starts going into, this is how you'll know. And later in that passage, Jesus says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs turn tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. He says, my goodness, you can look at a fig tree and know summer is coming. You can look at things that are happening in the world and know that my coming is not far off. They're classically referred to as the signs of the times. What are the signs of the times? How can we know if, if what's happening now, if the things that are taking place now are actually the signs? Is, is this, is this that, that fig branch that's starting, it's starting to bloom and we're seeing a new season that's about to take place? Rather than simply calling this signs of the times, we're, we're approaching this from a question, what in the world is happening? Now, I, I'd be honest with you and say this morning that, that I'd, I would love to be able to do this instead of this way, presentation standing in front of you, for, for us to be sitting out there on those nice, comfortable chairs and having a, a, a conversation that's going up and back. Because I think there are things that things I've thought about, things I've observed in my own lifetime that cause me to say, not yes, it's coming tomorrow, yes, he's coming tomorrow, but but I sure wonder. I wonder. I wonder if we're not closer than we ever have been. And so what I want to look at this morning is some, some of the things that cause me to wonder if this is the season, if this is the time. Now, last week we looked at, at bigger issues. You might call them global issues. Not, not global as in around the globe, but global as in rather universal. Things we see happening everywhere. Things we see in terms of the way people are handling the truth. Things we see in terms of the way people think. Things we see in terms of the way that, that the world looks like it's living out Romans chapter 1. That we truly have traded the truth of God for a lie. And, we're, and we've chosen to live completely on our own. And, and these things, these, these global issues cause me to really wonder, is the coming of Jesus right around the door? We believe theologically that the coming of Jesus is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. All it takes is for God the Father to say, it's time, and Jesus will return. But as we look, we wonder, so, so are there things happening in this season that are unique? Today I want to look a little bit more closely at what I'd call local issues. And again, not local in terms of, of Shanahan or Joliet or Illinois or even America, but local in terms of 2021. Are there things that are happening in this particular season that cause us to say, perhaps, the time has come. Things that as I look at them, I find myself more than ever going, more than ever in my lifetime going, I wonder. I wonder if it's time. So let's look at these together. What in the world is happening? The first thing to just say is generally the rise of globalism. There has been a, the rise of globalism. I don't have to explain globalism completely to you today. You understand the concept that more and more the world is very, very small. And more and more you see less of a, less of a naturalist, nationalistic patriotism and instead there's more of this mentality of I'm a citizen of the world and, and we're all in this together. There's this rise of globalism that's taking place and that's got to happen in the end. Revelation chapter 13 talks about the dragon, talks about Satan giving power and authority to an entity that's going to be known as the beast or the antichrist. He gives him power and authority over over all that's going on in the world, and as you, as you look at verse 7 of that chapter, it says, this beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. This passage, as well as others, give us a very clear impression that there will be some form of a, a one-world government. Now, I don't know if one-world government literally means that every nation loses its label and it just becomes literally one great global government. But what we see is there will be one authoritative figure that will rule over everything. Now, it's funny because I, I, I look at this, and as a kid I would look at this. I'm, I grew up with a lot of prophecy in my background, and um, 1986, so that's a while ago, right? I, in fact, it's funny, Blake Hersberger is here today, and he's here for Cameron's baptism, and, and, and Blake is right about at the same stage of life, you know, a year out of college, all that sort of thing, when this event happened to me. 
I'm sitting as a, in Bay Ridge Baptist Church in Seminole, Florida as their youth pastor, and it's a Sunday night. And we have an associate pastor, and his name is Charlie. And Charlie wanted to explain to us his views of prophecy. And Charlie's views of prophecy were different than everybody else's. Just about everything Charlie believed was different than everybody else. He was that kind of guy. And he wanted to present this, this idea he had this evening of, of how prophecy would unfold. And so he's explaining it, and it was fascinating and, you know, intriguing and everything else. And I'm listening to it, and as I did, I, I'm scratching my head, and I'm going, you know, if I could have said it out loud to him, and I have said, Charlie, I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe this is truth. But when you talk about one world government, I just don't see it happening tomorrow. 1986. I mean, 1986, I, my mindset is going, you got this monster over here through, called the Soviet Union. In my memory, there had been Lana at Brezhnev, then we had that little Urian drop-off blip, and now we were into Gorbachev. We didn't know who this guy was yet, what he was all about. But here's what we knew. They were our enemy. They wanted to take us out. We wanted to take them out. And if you wanted to use the word existential threat, that was the existential threat, that some president or premier was going to press a button, and boom, it was all over. It was done. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, Charlie, there is no way in the world that the Soviet Union and the United States are going to join hands to start singing Kumbaya. They're too strong. They're too powerful. They're just not going to go away. Don't rely on me for predictions, because, you know, 1989, Berlin Wall falls, Soviet Union collapses, and you go, huh, isn't that intriguing? Isn't that intriguing? Something that seemed impossible, all of a sudden totally different national landscape. And that national landscape continues to change, continues to change. It's just amazing how much we've become more and more open to globalism. Now I know at this point we look and say, China, great threat, right? China, great threat, but pull out your phone today and look at the backside, who made it, right? If they're such a great threat, why are you letting them make your phone? See, here's the thing, right? Globalism has really been prompted more than anything else by business and commerce, hasn't it? And, and, and as much as we might look and say we're not unified around a single political leader or we're not unified around a single political purpose or philosophy, we are unified of, around liking stuff and making stuff and business that takes place. I've been amazed. I've talked to a, a couple of people here who their, their, their business is in the middle of being bought out in mergers. The number of countries that have to give approval in order for that merger to take place is crazy. It's crazy. There's this rise of globalism that, take, that has taken place that causes you to say, you know what? One world government one person calling the shots is not as far-fetched as it used to seem. In fact, if there had been one brilliant leader who had stood up in the pandemic and said, I have the answer, you kind of wonder if the world wouldn't have gone, we'll take three of them, thank you very much, right? What in the world's happening? The rise of globalism. I'll give you the second one, and that's the dominance of technology. I couldn't think of the right word. It's not just the emergence of technology. It's the dominance of technology. It is in your face, literally, all the time. I mean, I laugh. I've been here long enough that when I came to the church, we didn't have a website. Why would you? Nobody had the interweb. We weren't using that thing. If you wanted to get, I remember, my goodness, I, 2001, I joined my first fantasy football league. All right? 2001. I won, by the way. It was a fantastic year. I had Sean Alexander. You couldn't go wrong. So anyway, I get on Tuesday morning to pick up players. Now, I'd have to start at my computer at 5.30 to make sure that, that I was going to get online, right? And some mornings it wouldn't, and I'd have to talk to the God of heaven, help me here, come on. So anyway, it would start up, and I'd have my finger hovering over the player I wanted to pick up, and, I, and, it, and, and that little button would go green, and I'd click, and I'd wait, and I'd wait, Sometimes up to a minute and a half, I'd wait to see, did I pick up the player or not? My goodness, you go from that 
to now you can watch seamless. We got rid of our television, right? And watch video streaming to us without glitch, without blip, without little pinwheel. It's amazing. All the things that have changed. You see, one of the things the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 is that this beast will force all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. You will be precluded from participating in this wonderful global economy if you do not swear allegiance to the beast, if you do not have the mark, if you do not have the number. Now, let's go back to Dennis, 1986. I'm thinking, I'm going to stack me a big pile of cash. I'm going to move to Idaho. And I'm going to hide. Nobody will ever find me. I can live out seven years of torture. I mean, come on, I'll just hide. Except now all my neighbors in Idaho have a ring doorbell, right? Now, I mean, think about it. When's the last time you paid cash for anything? You just pull out your plastic friend. You don't even have to swipe him anymore. You just go ahead and lay him on a little screen and it happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm watching a, a program, a couple, or a, a new show last week, and they're talking about something. It's not new. There's a piece of it that's new. It's not new. Um, Amazon has got these stores now. You walk into their store, you take your phone, you walk up to a little kiosk, you flash your phone on it, you fill up your cart, you walk around, you go ahead and head out, you don't talk to a cashier, you don't do anything as you're walking out, boom, they just reach in and, and take a withdrawal from your bank account and all is good. Come and go without any, uh, anything, anything at all in terms of a physical transaction. Think about that. Just think about it. The new part was that they've now developed a, a third-party proprietary thing that Jewel can get it to. Anywhere can get it. And all of a sudden you kind of go, huh, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? My, my Idaho plan isn't quite working out anymore. Because now, if it's not about cash, if it's about, if it's about some other system, if it's about technology, you know, I kind of laughed. I was talking to Dale Hansen just before. He's doing uh, jury, jury duty right now. And, he, and, he's, and he's saying, it's grand jury. He says, thieves are really stupid. They, they always get caught in the act of dumb. He said, how many people have been caught doing dumb because they didn't realize they were on camera? Can I just say today, don't do dumb. You're being watched everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. There's a camera, everywhere. The dominance of technology sets up a world where very easily what is predicted here in Scripture could become a very, very quick reality. It just makes me wonder. I'm not saying this is it. I'm not saying Jesus is coming on Tuesday at 7.43. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying between the rise of globalism and the dominance of technology, this is different than my childhood. The Idaho plan is out the window. It's not going to work anymore. What in the world is happening? Here's the third. The cult of postmodern secularism. The cult of postmodern secularism that has taken over our country in the past 50 years and has truly taken on the world over the past 50 years. This, this era in which for the first time in human history, the dominant theme, the dominant thinking is not Judeo-Christian thinking. But it instead, it is a postmodern secularism. Postmodernism basically saying there is no truth except the truth you decide that is true. And we can all walk around with a little different basket of truth. There is no universal truth. The truth is as you've decided it to be. You can already see the madness that's going to come from that. And then secularism, secularism that says we can do this apart from God. We don't need God. It's post-God. It's anti-God. It's against God. It wants nothing to do with God. There are Christians who actually thought secularism was phenomenal. It leads to a, a greater sense of pluralism as a society. Here's the problem with that thinking. A secularist is also not a person who follows biblical morality. 
And so they're more than willing to do whatever they have to in order to squash your way of thinking, in order to eliminate you, in order to take you off their platform, whatever it takes to remove the truth that's being expressed. The cult of postmodern secularism has got us in a unique place to buy into the teaching of the beast. We talked last week about the fact that in the absence of morality, moral people will craft a moral alternative. Created in the image of God, you are a moral being. And God gives us a morality in his word that moral beings are supposed to follow. And postmodern secularism says, I want nothing to do with God's morality, but you don't just throw away a morality because you're a moral being. You have a need for morality, so you start making one up as you go. You do your own thing, and as we saw last week in, in Romans, we trade the truth of God for a lie. We worship the creation instead of the creator. You look at Genesis chapter 3, and you see the serpent coming in and tempting Eve, and what does he do? First, he just plants seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? Is that what's really going on? And then he outright says, God's lying. God's lying. He distorts and he deceives. Part of what's amazing about the way Satan works is that he doesn't create a whole new morality. He tweaks the old one. He takes the one that is and he shifts it, and he twists it. It sounds kind of good at first. You kind of go, huh, something about that seems to make sense. Well, it does kind of make sense because there's still a taste of biblical truth there, biblical truth that has been twisted and distorted and changed. I want to look at a few of the tenets of this postmodern secularism that America is dealing with right now and that we see spreading throughout the world. There are many, many more, but I'll give you a few. There's, of course, everything that's going on in the area of sexuality right now. Everything that's going on. We, we've taken 6,000 years of understanding what the Bible has to say about, about sexuality and said, yeah, we want nothing to do with that. We want nothing to do it. Because in postmodernism, truth is whatever I decide truth is. And secularism is, I don't have to listen to what God says. I'll do whatever I want to do. And so there has been a complete and total redefinition of sexuality that's going all the way down to our third grade kids. That they're being told all kinds of craziness. God says, male and female, he created them. He wants them to get married. He wants them to stay together for life. He wants them to not have sex before marriage. All these things. And postmodern secularism says, that's crazy. I'm going to do what I want. Because postmodern secularism, here's, here's a piece of the wonderful twisted theology of postmodern secularism. Love wins. It sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? Love wins. Just splather some love on it and it's all Okay. But, but when we really think, what is love? The Bible says God is love. And if God is love, God's the one that defines what love is. We don't get to just redefine it because we, we threw the right word in there and distorted it to say whatever we wanted it to say. And so we move into all kinds of craziness, including now that in third grade you're being asked, so are you a boy or are you a girl? Not because I can't tell, but because you can't tell. The same people say, follow the science. You know what biology tells me? If I got certain parts, I know what I am. <laughs> Period. Follow the science. There it is. Not here. Now, here's the funny thing. If I said, well, I self-identify as vaxxed, or I self-identify right now as masked, oh, that's madness, that's craziness, that's stupidity. But I can self-identify as something that is other than what my body is? This is part of the madness of postmodern secularist religion. Climate, the climate cult, the climate cult. My goodness. Let me qualify it again. I don't like pollution. I don't like dirty. I grew up in western New York. The place was scum. It still is. I, I mowed lawns on a chemical dump site. I lived seven miles from the Love Canal. I don't like pollution. And I equally do not believe that the world is going to end in five years because of my car. I equally do not believe that the world is going to end because cows fart too much. It's out there. I'm not kidding. That's the science. I believe what the Bible says, that the world will burn with a fervent heat, not because of fossil fuel, but because God says, time's up. Boom. That's what the Bible says. So, so I'm reading this past week, this article, it was, it was mind-blowing. You can look it up. 
Kids 18, 16 to 25 are suffering climate anxiety. They said literally 40% of kids wake up every day worried about the end of the world because of climate anxiety. I woke up every day worried that there were no Oreos. <laughs> How do you start worrying every day about the world ending because of fossil fuel? Because it's being drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. Our kids are being abused at school, on television, everywhere with this constant drilling of fear, constant drilling of fear. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And they're willing to give up anything and everything for the sake of please save us. You know what the greater, uh, greater percentage than, than the number of people, the number of kids that suffered climate anxiety? The 60% of kids, and these were kids worldwide who believe their government isn't doing enough to save them from the end of the world. It went further to say that a great percentage of them have decided they will not have children because they don't want their kid to melt. That poor kid, can you imagine what they're going to be like? Do you know by now, Al Gore and company, other friends, said we'd be done by now? We'd be done, it'd be over by now. I mean, if you're going to make a prediction like that, make it like 2280, you know, so that there will be no proof. There are people who believed we'd be done by now. What is it going to be like for this poor kid when they're 70 years old to realize they gave up the opportunity to have children because somebody told them that we don't have enough windmills? It's nuts. It's a cult. It's a cult. And people are buying into it. I'm just telling you, any time you run into one of these postmodern secularist cults, follow the money. Who's getting rich off of it? Who's getting rich off the theology? The theology of equity. The Bible teaches people are created in the image of God equally. Our own founding documents say people are created in the image of God equally. And there's a group of people right now, postmodernist secularists, who have decided that the world is not about equality, it's about equity. Equity being what? Neo-racism. A new form of racism that says, now it's my turn to hate you. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. If we would, if we would turn to the word of God for our understanding of race, the whole world would sing kumbaya, man. Instead of turning to all the lunatics out there that are coming up with their critical race theory and all of these other delusional ways of thinking that are part of the postmodernist secularist cult. We've fallen for these things. We've fallen for the idea of rebellion. Rebellion is a tenant of this. That you just you throw off any form of what you view to be oppression. Police are oppressive, throw them off. Whatever, you throw it off. Because ultimately, self is God. You're God. In postmodern and secularism, you're God. You're in control of all things. You decide. Nobody decides for you. I'm telling you what. This has set us up for a one world religion. This has set us up. When we say no more God... And, we buy, and these are just some of the tenets, folks. There are a lot more. These are just some of the tenets. These are just some of the ways of thinking that are leading to the end being very, very near. Let me give you one other, and that's what I'd call the ease of persuasion. The ease of persuasion. I am blown away at how easily we buy into stuff. All we have to be told is the science says Certain experts says, and boom, we're in. We're all in. Do you know the American spirit used to be a spirit of, of rebellion and questioning? The American spirit was founded on not trusting your government and your government leaders, no matter what party they were. Questioning, because, because they understood this. They understood that humans, by nature, are corrupt. And power corrupts. Big question. But in the modern era, in this time, we are so easily persuadable. In just a decade, our whole society, including Christians, has completely changed its mind on sexuality. Based on 10 years 
of persuasion, 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 persuasion that was dominant in media and everywhere else. This is the message. This is the message. And people in an unthinking way bought into the message. Kim and I more than once throughout this pandemic have said, oh my goodness, the Antichrist is not going to have as hard a job as I thought. Because people will trade their freedom for two things almost every time. Government and leaders have learned that if they hit you in the area of courage or convenience, they can coerce you to do just about anything. So when it comes to courage, they just stoke the fear enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever answer they're offering, whatever answer mother government has for you, here she is, here she is, she'll take care of you. Mother government was never intended to keep you safe. It is not the primary job of mother government to keep you safe. There would be no Lewis and Clark. There would be no man on the moon. There would be nothing of these things if our primary objective was to be safe. But we hear that. We hear the fear and we turn to mother government and say, give us the answer. What an easy time the Antichrist will have when he's able to say, here's the answer. Everybody goes, I'll take three of them, please. Give them to me. But some of us, we don't fall for the fear thing. That's not us. No, we go for convenience. We like life to be easy. We like the freedom to do this or that. And so when the government says, basically, here's your permission slip, you can do this if. Okay, I'll do it. Courage, convenience. Courage, convenience leads to coercion. And it's led to an ease of persuasion that I promise you was not present when I was a child. Different world. A world that's set up set up for the end. Two other wonderings I have. These are just kind of quick ones. One, I'd call it the power shortage. And I'm not talking about blackouts. What I'm talking about is the blackout in the church. The lack of power of the Church of Jesus Christ in society. You know, I, I've said it publicly and I've said it to many friends. One of the things that really bugged me at the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, like you can't believe, was to be told that the church and pastors were not essential workers. <laughs> not essential, not needed, not necessary. I promise you that almost any other time in the history of our country, if we were going through a crisis, one of the first places leaders turned was, how can the church join us in this? And instead we were told, you can put your video out, what's the big deal? didn't need us. We have very little power. I'm not talking about political power. Political power is a joke. I'm talking about the power of Jesus Christ. The power to persuade. The power to change lives. We have very little power. You look at Revelation chapter 3 and 4 and it talks about the different churches. Seven churches. The last one. People believe that these, some believe that these happen chronologically in the, in the era of the church. The last one's the church of Laodicea. What's the problem with the church of Laodicea? It has no power because it's self-sufficient. It doesn't need God. Just like the, the, the postmodern secularist who does not want God, the church does not need God. The church can do it on our own. We got the cash. We got the resources. We got the people. God, go take care of somebody in need. We got this. We got nothing. And more and more and more, the church of Jesus Christ. Here's what blows my mind. You look through the history of the world, the great ideas came out of the church. The great art, the great philosophy, the great thinking, it grew out of the church. It grew out of theologians. It grew out of those places. So much of what we have, even in medicine, grew out of what? It grew out of the church. And now, we turn to the world for the answer. We, we design our, our value statement. What do we design? Well, we got to be diverse. We got to be socially just. There's no such thing as socially just. There's just or not just. Period but we buy the world's terminology. We buy the world's thinking. And then we wonder why we have no power when we look just like them and act just like them. God called us to be different. He called us to be, believe it or not, a peculiar people. God wants you to be weird. <laughs> not liked. The other I'd call the population crisis. And, and you're like, yeah, I know too many people. No, not too many people. The population crisis is that more and more people are saying, oh, we're not having kids. 
That messes with my life. And, you know, God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He didn't say, until you've determined it's full enough. He didn't. Now you hear that and you're going, man, you're a wacko. Read the Bible. We've listened too much to the world. We bought the world's way of thinking. And then we wonder, <laughs> is the end near? Man, the Antichrist, it's hilarious. It doesn't, we don't even need a war. We just need a flick. There, you're gone. Next. What should our response be? Let me give you four. We need to see soft tyranny as training for deeper adversity. We're living under soft tyranny right now. And that's not just because of the party in power. I'm telling you what, we're in a state right now that between the leader of our country and the leader of our state and many other leaders, they've decided to take on that beautiful adage, let no crisis go to waste. And they've chosen to take away freedoms in the name of a crisis. We got your Patriot Act, why? Please, God, keep us, please, government, keep us safe. Keep us safe. We need to see soft tyranny as training for deeper adversity. Instead of just knuckling under, we need to think twice and understand that when soft tyranny comes, you're not going to stand up to hard things if courage and, and, and convenience easily coerce you. We need to stand up. See soft tyranny as training for deeper adversity. We need to challenge everything. I'm not being some 60s hippie radical here. That's not what I mean. I'm, I'm not talking about challenging, you know, go to school board meetings and all that. Do what you're going to do. I don't care. We need to challenge it mentally. When thinking comes at us, we have to ask the question, is that true? Is that true? Can that be proven? We are like little baby robins eating worms. Put it in. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> we need to challenge the worms that are being shoved down our throats. Is this true? And too many of us just buy it because it's coming from our favorite station or our favorite politician or our favorite whatever. Favorite pastor. Don't eat the worms. Don't just accept them. Challenge it. Third, together matters. I said it last week, man. In this environment, you need a few friends who are sane too. And by sane, I mean they love Jesus. They want to follow after God because it's fewer and fewer and fewer. And even in churches, you find too many people that have bought into postmodern secularism but they want to baptize it in the name of Jesus. And finally, live out your calling every moment. You see, what happens sometimes when we talk about the end, there are some people who just go, if it's ending, I give up. Uh, you know, why do anything anymore? Jesus comes back. I'm done. God's given you a calling to live out until you're gone. You're 80 years old, guess what? you're still breathing, you have a calling to live out until you, you don't get to hit 80 and go, I get to coast now. No! We live out our calling every moment. I don't know if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I sure hope he does. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue to live out my calling as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a neighbor, as a person who's bringing people safely home to God. I'm going to live out my calling don't give up your calling because you're in despair. You're saying, well, it's all going to end anyway. It's all going to burn, so who cares? No. We were placed here. My goodness, there are times in human history that felt a lot bleaker than this one. Live out your calling. Every moment. Is this the end? I wonder. I wonder. I truly wonder. And so, Jesus, until we see you again, you give us the privilege every week of being reminded that you are with us even to the end of the age. And that age is going to get darker and bleaker and more troubling. But you're with us. We are not alone. And so we walk to communion today to be reminded of your love, to be reminded of your presence, to be people of courage, and who do not fall too easily for convenience, 
who are not easily coerced, who stand firm in faith and truth. In Jesus' name, now and always. Amen. So we will walk to communion. Tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on the sides of the stage and one in the back as well. And as you do, let the words continue to ring through your mind. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We're ready. Come, come to. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't get done with communion this morning? I'd like that. Something has to break. Something has to break. Something has to break. Right now in your name. Something has to break. Something has to break. Something has. I say this with all sincerity. I really mean it. If, if, if my method this morning offends you, I'm sorry. I really am. I'd never want me to get in the way of the message. If the message offends you this morning, I'm glad you were here. Because something has to break. We just sang it. Tear down every lie, set the wrong thing right. Every lie has got to be torn down. It's got to be made Right? And the thing that has to break is us. God calls on us to be sweetly broken in his presence all the time. So what does he have for you to take away today? To challenge the way you've been stuck in your thinking. To say, I trade my way for your way. Let's stop living like secularist humanists. Let's stop living like postmodern secularists. And start living like fully devoted Christ followers who believe the truth, and the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And in the meantime, pray for your friends. Pray for your friends here. Some of our friends are having to stand up in the middle of soft tyranny, and it's not an easy stand. It's not an easy stand. Pray for them that they remain strong. Enjoy the day.